The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Amen. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, isn't it good to live in Southern California? Don't you enjoy this weather this week? I have friends back on the East Coast and other parts of the country, and they love to text me this time of year, like, hey, what's the weather like in California? I'm like, you know what? It's amazing. And uh, they're like, you stink. I'm like, yeah, well, you should move to California. Well, I hope you've had a great week. We are honored that you're here. We're going to finish out a series today called The Ever-Chasing God. If you happen to bring uh, a Bible with you, uh, we encourage you to do that every week. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one after the service at the Connect table. If you do, go ahead and open up the book of Jonah. You can turn it on, turn it to, and we're going to finish out the series today. If you're new here, uh, let me just tell you what we like to do during this time. Um, we are very passionate about the scriptures. We love to open it up, and we love to teach through books of the Bible, and occasionally we'll do topical series as well. And so when we teach through books of the Bible, we like to go verse by verse because we think that honors the scripture, but we also think that's good to teach you how to do Bible study as well if you were to open it up and read it for yourselves. And so today, having said that, we're going to do it a little bit differently, if you will, all right? Um, we've been in Jonah for five weeks, and today I just want to recap what Jonah has taught us. And so I'm going to go through a few verses today, and we're going to land on a few points, and uh, I hope it will encourage you today, all right? Everybody good? You good? Look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm excited to be in church today. Go ahead and tell him right now. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are a good father. Uh, God, you are so faithful to us. Thank you for your unrelenting grace. Now, God, as we open up the scriptures, may you use it to speak to us deeply to the depths of our heart. God, pray that you mind our souls today. And uh, God, would you inform our ears, uh, allow our hands and our feet and our wills and our affections to move in the direction that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Uh, this past week I had family in town. I rarely get to see family, so it's always good to spend time with them. And uh, everybody in my family, I kid you not, has passed on. All my grandparents, uh, it's just my mom, my sister, and myself, and literally everybody else has passed away. My father passed away years ago. And so because I don't get to see my family often, um, we've never really taken a ton of time just to talk about family. So last week we did. And uh, on my mom's side of the family, uh, my mom's mom, we called her Nanny Jewel. Anybody call their grandparents Nanny? I call her Nanny. Nanny Jewel. And um, Nanny Jewel grew up in a family. I told the first service in a family of 13 brothers and sisters. That was not true. My mom just texted me. It was nine brothers and sisters. But does it really matter after three or four? Like everybody's got to wear a name tag at that point, right? Nine brothers and sisters, and they all grew up in the same home in rural South Carolina on this big farm. And there were multiple, multiple, multiple generations that have lived in this one house. Parents, grandparents, uh, great-grandparents. Now, now there's many generations that have been back to this one home. And it made me think, you ever heard the phrase, if these walls could talk? You ever heard that phrase? Like just thinking about the generation that have gone through and come through this one house. If the walls could talk, so many stories that could be told from that one house. You know what I love about the church globally and specifically this church locally is that this is a house with a lot of stories, many, many stories, and every story 
is welcomed here. There's stories in this room, in this church that are represented that love Jesus passionately and been serving him for many, many years. There are people in this room today, in this auditorium this morning, who have never begun a journey with Jesus, and maybe you're skeptical, and maybe you're okay not knowing Jesus, but you're just trying to explore who he is. This is a house where all of those stories are welcome, by the way. And I love that because the book of Jonah is a series for people who have a lot of different stories. And today, I just want to take a moment just to kind of go over, just to recap where we've been in this book and to identify the stories that are represented in Jonah that I also believe that are represented in this room. And so I believe the book of Jonah is teaching us um, several things, but I want to try to summarize it today in three just, just three very succinct, very clear principles that I think we can read from the book of Jonah. And so let's just jump right into it. Jonah is a book that I think, first of all, shows us how God chases those who run. Jonah is a book that shows us how God chases those who run. Jonah chapter one, verse three, gives us this picture. If you've been around here for the last five weeks, you know the story of Jonah. Even if you've never been in church in a long time, you probably are aware of the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter one, verse three, begins the story of this guy, Jonah, and it says, Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. Now, if you recall back the very first week we started this series, Jonah's a prophet of God. He's served God for many, many years. He believed God said, this is, my, uh, this is the season that I have for you. I want you to go and preach the grace of God to the people of Nineveh. Jonah said, thank you, God, but no thank you. And he ran from God. And what happened was, we know the story and how it unfolded. Jonah ran directly into a storm when he ran away from God. And the scripture tells us he was on a boat and the sea and the waves were, the wind were all crashing in on Jonah and Jonah's running from God and he finds himself in the storm of his life. Um, I have a friend who, uh, for, I think for like his 67th birthday, uh, his wife bought him a week in Oklahoma in a vehicle that chased tornadoes. Uh, in the last service, literally people cheered. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Like, like some of you uh, are, grew up in, 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 in places where tornadoes were a normal thing. And some of you, for whatever, it's like Stockholm syndrome. Like you love tornadoes. I have no idea. Most normal people hide in bathrooms with mattresses on top of them. Some people love tornadoes. And so my friend Bill, he's been on the stage before just a month ago or so. And for a week, he was in a vehicle chasing storms. I'm like, Bill, are you crazy? You don't have much time left. Why would you end it chasing a storm? Right? We see in the book of Jonah, Jonah has ran in. He's run into the storm of his life. There are times in our lives when we are victims of uh, of, of difficult circumstances and situations. But then what Jonah teaches us is that sometimes we're actually the culprits of our own storm. We can point the finger oftentimes for the reason why we find ourselves in certain situations. But many times, according to the book of Jonah, that finger points back to us. We ran into our own storm. And so what we see here is this story of a God who chases us into the storm. Why would God allow us to run into a storm? 
Well, if we can recall back over the first week of this series, God will allow us to run into a storm so he can pull us out, so we can experience his grace. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, Jonah's at the bottom of the ship. In fact, verse 6 tells us he is so comfortable running from God. The word that it says, it says he, sn- he uh, slept soundly. It gives us this idea that Jonah is actually snoring at the bottom of the ship. And, and, but, but at the same time, while Jonah is at the bottom snoring, there are sailors who do not yet know God, and they are freaking out. They are having this theological discussion like, you ask your God, you ask your God, you ask your God, I'll ask my God. If there is actually a God out there, let's ask him, please, why is this happening, and can you stop it? Yet at the same time, Jonah's at the bottom of the ship, and he is completely freaking out. He wakes up. The sailors wake him up, and Jonah preaches his first sermon in the book. And this is what he says in verse 9. Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then in verse 10 it says, and this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Jonah's first sermon is in the midst of of this storm. He's preaching to pagan people who don't know God about the God who stirred up the winds and the sea and the rain and the waves. Can I just, just pose to you this morning, one of the most terrifying places to be is to be in the middle of a storm unaware of the presence of God. So in this book, I don't read Jonah chapter one. I'm like, oh my gosh, Jonah's like flipping out because, because, because he doesn't know where, like all of this. No, actually, Jonah is, is the calmest one in Jonah chapter one. He's calm. He's sleeping. He's snoring. It's the people who don't yet know God who are totally losing their mind. I would say one of the most terrifying places to be is in the midst of a storm and you do not recognize the presence of God, can I say to you, God is chasing you into that storm in order to bring you out. Some of you may be in a storm currently. Some of you may be right in the middle of of a disastrous situation. Maybe you've just come out of it or you're going into it. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you believe that God is pursuing you in your storm right now? Do you believe that God is good to you in your storm right now. How do we know, Pastor Matt, that God is good to us in our storms? Two words, his presence. Scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 43, verse one and two, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. Now listen to what it says. I've summoned you by name. You are mine. Listen to what verse two says of Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, this is a general storm in your life. It says, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, this is a specific storm in your life. It says, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, a general storm in your life, you will not be burned. And then the second thing it says is, and the flames will not set you ablaze. In other words, it may get really hot in your storm. It may become very uncomfortable and discomfortable, and there may actually be pain in your storm. But what scripture tells us is that God has his hand on the thermostat. 
His presence is there. He's not just watching you in the fire. Scripture confirms he's right there with you. You know one of the greatest fears when we're walking through difficult times is that we have this fear that we can't endure what we're going through. Like we're like, I just do not think I can make it through this storm. Scripture tells us because of God's presence, we can be strengthened. Because of God's promise, there is nothing that we face that will overwhelm us. Psalm chapter 34 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jonah's gone down to Joppa He's gone down into the bottom of the ship. He's gone even further down, the word play tells us, into the belly of the fish. Why did he run from God? It says he ran from the presence of God. What happens when he's awoken at the bottom of the ship? He's reminded of the presence of God. The very thing that Jonah tried to run from was the very thing God was trying to bring Jonah back to, his presence. Jonah chapter 1 tells us about a God who chases us when we run. Um, if you can remember, most of us are post high school now. If you can remember back to your least favorite subject in high school, you remember what that was? Some of you are like, I loved everything, and we're still trying to figure out what's wrong with you. But for those of us who had subjects who were like, oh, dear heaven, why do I, do I, will I ever, like, my son's only in first grade, and I'm already like, does he even need this? Like, will he ever, you, you know, remember what I'm talking about? In 11th grade, I willingly chose to take an AP physics class, all right? Some of you guys literally are rocket scientists in this room. You work at, you know, uh, the jet propulsion place over in Pasadena or SpaceX down, and you, you think I'm completely insane, but just listen to me. I got into AP physics, and I failed the first test, not just like by, like, like barely, not just like it was a good margin. I like failed it, and I was like, did you, were you even in class at all? Like, did you even show up? Like, it was so bad, literally. Don't do as I do, do as I say. I put the book after the first test on the shelf, and the only time I ever took it back off the shelf was when I came into class, because it was my homeroom, where I did homeroom. I'd take the book off the shelf, I'd open it up, like, like and then when I left the class, I'm like, boop, and i put it back on the shelf. And that's the only time I ever opened the physics book. I'm like, dear Lord, do I even need this class, right? Will I ever use it? And sometimes we're like, God, this trial that I'm walking through, this struggle that I'm going through, this challenge that I am walking, this difficulty that I'm, do I even need this, God? Where are you? And God looks back at us when we acknowledge his presence in those moments. And he says to us, this trial, this challenge, this difficulty, this obstacle that probably sometimes often we ran into ourselves is all a part of the faith curriculum to mature you. You need this and this is necessary to mature you in holiness, and I'm so serious about it, and I'm so faithful to you that in the process of maturing you in holiness, I will rescind your happiness for a moment so that you can become more like me. Scripture tells us in Jonah chapter 1 that we can see a God who chases us when we run. There's a second thing that the book of Jonah tells us, and I'm going to go all the way to chapter 4. Jonah not only tells us that we can see a God who chases us when we run, we can also see a God who chases us when we lie down. We see in the story of Jonah chapter 4, we ended here last week, but Jonah chapter 4 verse 5 says this about Jonah. Now, 
If you haven't been here, let me just very quickly. God said, go to Nineveh, preach the grace of God. And Jonah's like, "Uh, no, thank you. And he went down to Joppa, down to the ship, down to the belly of the fish. God in his unrelenting grace brought Jonah back. Jonah said, okay, God, I see your presence. I know what you're doing. I'm going to go to Nineveh, but I'm not happy about it. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches what the scripture tells us is that the entire city... One of the greatest recorded revivals in all of world history happens in Nineveh. Jonah sees it. He's not happy about it. And then this is what happens. Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and he sat east of it. And there he made a shelter for himself and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Because this is beautiful word picture of, uh, of Jonah just... Lying down, just giving up, just God, I'm going to go along to get along. This passionless existence, this mundane life, God, I'm not rebelling from you at this moment. I'm with you, God, but there's just not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of happiness. There's not a lot of, uh, of passion in my life. Can you identify with Jonah in this moment? Like I get this view, I get this mental image in my mind. Jonah sees an entire city transformed. He's so not happy about it. He goes up to a, the highest point in the city and he looks down and he's like almost in his mind, like, like I hope, I hope that city goes back. I hope they recant everything they told God they were going to do so that the power of God could come down and just strike them and destroy them. Like I see this is in Jonah's mind, like he's not happy about what's happened. Have you ever come to that point in your life, maybe spiritually? You're tired, depleted, uninspired. You can't see the way ahead, so you just sort of give up. This, this often, by the way, happens in marriages, right? Both spouses are unhappy. There's no joy in the process. You know that divorce is not really an option, and so you just go along to get along, and you deal with each other on a daily basis, but you're tired, you're depleted, you're uninspired, you don't see the way ahead, but you think this is the only way it can ever be, so I just keep going on. You give up. You go along with God in unglorified obedience. And then when Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, For fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And you look back after you read that scripture and you're like, you know what? There's no fight left in me. And you're lulled into this joyless obedience. Have you ever been so tired of fighting and struggling that you just wonder if God knows what's going on or you just wave the white flag? You just, you just sit down. Jonah tells us there's a God who chases you when you just sit down. My father passed in 1999 after eight months of sickness. Just, just one day he was healthy. The next day there was a pain and he was given two months to live. He ended up living eight. And I confess before you today, there were many months after his death that I just sat down. I've been asked to speak at several different groups. At this point, I'd already been engaging in ministry. And I can just remember the, the, um, the <laughs> I, I wasn't true. I, I would walk into an environment and I would preach and I would teach. And, and I knew this was not true of me because I had just sat down. In fact, I was not happy. 
The question I asked God often in that season of my life was, why, God? Why? I would wake up after my dad passed away every week, once a week. Then it became every month. And then it became <clears throat> every three months. And then every six months. And I would ask the same question, why, God? I just sat down. It's been now 18 years since my dad passed, 18 and a half. And hindsight's always 20, 20. And when I look back on that season of my life when I just said, God, I'm, 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 I'm going along to get along. I, I know that life with you is better than life without you, but I just don't have a lot of passion in this season. When I look back on it, I see the faithfulness of God. In fact, in fact, if you ask me, Pastor Matt, do you have a life verse? I absolutely do. Lamentations chapter three, verse 21 and 22. God's mercies are new every single morning because why? Your faithfulness is great. But I didn't see it in that season. But thankfully, God did. And he never stopped chasing me. Jonah tells us the story of a God who chases us even when we sit down. Verse 6 tells us in chapter 4, so the Lord God, this is how, so the Lord God appointed a plant. Remember Jonah sitting up above the, the city and, and he's perched up here. And so God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Verse seven, but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and he begged with all of his soul to die saying, death is better to me than life. There's a man who has sat down. Then God said to Jonah, this is the second time God asked Jonah this question. The first time he asked him in reference to the city of Nineveh, do you have reason to be angry? Jonah didn't reply the first time about the city of Nineveh. The second time God says, do you have reason to be angry about the plant? <laughs> Jonah says, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Jonah says, you dadgum right, I'm angry, and I should be. If I'm God, <laughs> this scenario plays out differently. And yet God, in his unrelenting grace, in his long-suffering in his unrelenting grace, continues to pursue Jonah. It's interesting. We're going to get here just in, in a second. Did Jonah ever get it? Did Jonah ever understand it? Commentators tell us that Jonah was very likely the author of this book, which implies that he wrote it, which implies that he eventually did get it, which means he's now asking us that same question. God pursues us when we sit down. And how does he pursue us? It's from his unrelenting grace. We said it over the course of this series that only grace will lead you into a joyless existence, a joyful, joyless, that's not right, in a joyful existence. And we have to look 
into the face of God and into his grace and understand that we are not worthy of his grace at the same time and simultaneously loved and approved and accepted by God just as we are. And only his grace can lead us to that place. Jonah has taught us that God chases us when we run. He's taught us that God chases us when we give up. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. And we're going to be done with the book of Jonah. I've loved this series, by the way. I hope you have as well. The last thing that Jonah shows us is that God uh, chases those who don't know where they're going. God chases those who have no idea where they're going. Jonah chapter 4, verse 10. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work in which did not grow, in which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and then perished overnight. Verse 11, should I not have compassion on Nineveh? This is God asking Jonah. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? Nineveh, the great city which there are more than 120,000 persons. Commentators say the reference here is very likely just to the children in the city. This was a massive urban city who do not know, listen to this, the difference between their right hand and their left hand. <laughs> the book of Jonah shows us how God chases those who don't know where they're going. And then the last thing he says as, as well as many animals. <laughs> He's like, what? That's the last verse? Like that's the last thing Jonah says to us in the book of Jonah, as well as many animals. It's like a joke straight out of Flappers Comedy Club. The last service, uh, John was sitting right over here. He's a comedian who's performed in Flappers. And it's like, it's like a joke that God uh, inserts into this process. And it's like, it's like God says to Jonah, and can't you at least care about the cows? You're like, what? What do you, wh wh I mean, like, what is, it's actually a reference back to chapter three. When, 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 the, when the animals, it says, became silent, which leads us forward to Romans chapter 8, when it says all of creation groans for the redemption, for the renewal of all things on earth. Jonah, if you don't care about the people, can't you at least care about the cows? And the book ends there. <laughs> what? With a question at the edge of a cliff. This isn't God gets his way and humanity joyfully obeys God and follows God. This is humanity obeys and is sick to death over it. And God asks a question. Do you even care? Do you even care? You see, Jonah is not just a book for people who run from God. Jonah is a book for people who don't even yet know God. It reminds us of the missionary God that we serve reminds us of the rescue mission that's initiated in Genesis chapter 2, was already in the heart of God and the mind of God in Genesis chapter 1, and that rescue mission carries beyond Revelation chapter 22, 21. Jonah is a missionary book. 
about a God who is unrelenting in his grace and wants all of humanity to know about it. And even in our disobedience, God says, I'm still going to use you because I care enough about those people. To Jonah, Nineveh was just a number. 120,000 people. Just, just a nebulous idea of people. To God, every person had a name. He knew every hair on their head. He knew every part of their story. And God sent Jonah. And Jonah ends with this question. Do you even care about the Ninevehs? When I left church last Sunday, I got a notification about the shooting in Texas. And in my heart, I'm grieved over it. And in those moments, you just naturally go to thoughts and prayers for family members and people who are involved. And then there are, almost without exception, most of those moments, my mind also goes to the person who committed that horrible, evil act. And if we read scripture correctly, God even cares about that person. God has compassion and unrelenting grace up until the very moment where that person passes from death to life. But do we even care? It's the question that Jonah leaves us with. Like, do you even care as much about the people around you that God cares about as you do about your stuff and your possessions and the things that we accumulate? Do we care as much about those things? What, 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 what are we upset the most about? What did you grieve about this week? What did you cry about this week? Do we ever have grief over people who are far from God? More than two billion people on planet Earth who are still waiting on a witness of Jesus. People who don't have churches on every corner. People who, just like you, many nights may cry themselves to sleep. People just like you who are raising kids and it's difficult. People just like you who have griefs, just like you who have fears, just like you. And Jonah ends with this statement. Do you even care? There's no sign-up sheet in the lobby today for an overseas mission trip or signing up to be an overseas missionary. Most of us are glad about that. But when you go home today, there are neighbors and friends, family members, people that you live next door to. God says, do you even care? Do you care? In chapter one, we talked about this literary device that's used, this word picture that gives us this idea of going down. John, Jonah went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. He went down into the belly of the fish. It gives us this idea of a man who is running from God and his sin just keeps deeper, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. There's another word in the book of Jonah that's even more prominent than down happens with more frequency and it's even more important in the book of Jonah. It's the word great. Great. Jonah chapter one, verse two says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. 
Chapter one, verse four, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. Chapter one, verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid. Same word, chapter one, verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord greatly. Chapter one, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. Chapter three, verse two, go to Nineveh, that great city. Chapter three, verse three. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Chapter three, verse five, they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Chapter four, verse one, but it pleased, displeased Jonah greatly. And he was angry. Chapter four, verse six. So Jonah was greatly, exceedingly glad because of the plan. Chapter four, verse 11. And should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city? The repetition, repetition reminds us of the greatness of God's mission. This missionary God. Nineveh's sin was great. God's grace was greater. Jonah's hatred for Nineveh was great. God's compassion was greater. It's said about the great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor. He said he could sometimes barely stand to be in a church in England where he was from and hear the voices of thousands of Englishmen sing the praises of God when there were untold numbers of Chinese who had never heard about Jesus. And then he made the now known phrase, famous phrase. He said, would that God would make hell so real to us that we cannot rest. <laughs> Have you ever felt a heaviness that comes from participating in the greatness of God's mission? God wants to use you in people's lives just like he wants to and did use Jonah. God wants to use you in this mission. Miss June, I'm grateful for you. I know you're walking through a difficult time. Yet in the midst of it, you tell me every week, I share the gospel with my nurse. I prayed for the person that I was next to. Thank you for participating in the greatness of God's mission. May it be so with all of us. Lottie Moon was a missionary to China as well. Her Chinese name was Mula Di. Over 100 years ago, she left First Baptist Cartersville, Georgia, which is a partner church with ours, actually. I've preached there many times. She left First Baptist Cartersville, Georgia to go overseas to China to be a missionary to the people who had not yet heard about Jesus. Today, every Christmas season, the denomination, the Baptist denomination we're a part of, the network we're a part of, takes an offering that offering goes directly to foreign missions. People who say, I'm gonna go be a missionary, don't have to raise support. Everything's paid for so they can focus on the ministry that God would have for them. Last year, 46,000 Baptist churches in our denomination took up $165 million and that was named after Lottie Moon. Lottie Moon went to China as a single lady. She always wanted to be married. She never was. She wrote in her biography, I hope that no one will ever experience the loneliness that I have experienced as a part of participating in God's mission. She had been there for a while and had not seen any results, people coming to faith in Christ, until a local small church pastor in China was extracted from his church and he was tortured by the local Chinese government. Her autobiography tells that when she heard of it, she ran to the place where he was being tortured. The biography says literally his scalp 
had been hanging from his head. She walks into that and she screams, stop, please beat me. The person who was inflicting the torture yelled at her, said, get out, this has nothing to do, get out. She cried over and over, please, please beat me. So eventually the person who was inflicting torture gave up and left. Lottie Moon took that pastor to, took that pastor to a hospital several cities over. They had stayed there for multiple weeks. When they came back home, they had found the people that were now open and receptive to the gospel. And it began to usher in one of the great movements of Christianity that we now know and we dedicate and commemorate to her memory. One single husbandless lady who experienced some of the greatest depths of loneliness humanity has ever experienced. She said when the U.S. government called for American citizens to leave China, she says, please do not ask me to leave the people that I love. In 2011, I mean, in 1911, a great famine came over China. She wrote back to American pastors and says, can't you please spare money to send to China to help feed people who are starving? It was said on her deathbed that Lottie Moon, Muladi, weighed 50 pounds. Why? Because she gave her food to those who needed it. Lottie Moon's life reminds us of the weightiness, the heaviness of participating in God's great mission. Do you even care? Do you care? Next week, we're gonna begin a Christmas project where we're gonna invite you to come into the process, maybe just for the first time, maybe you're completely engaged. I know many of you in this room are engaged in the mission of God. We're going to support a local shelter. It's just the first step. Do you even care? Will you walk into the great, glorious mission that God has for us? Jonah's a missionary book. And oftentimes we'll read scriptures and we like to pull out some things and maybe even write it on paper, maybe even use lipstick to write it on our bathroom mirror, like, like, cast your cares on me, right? Who doesn't love that verse? I live in Los Angeles. I'm a single mom, a single dad, someone who's out of work. I love that verse. Cast your cares on me. But what about take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself? Do we love those verses too? Do you even care? A God with such unending, unrelenting grace who's willing, who's willing to send a disobedient pastor, preacher, prophet to a people that he hated. God cared so much about those people that he said, I am going to have compassion on them too. Do you even care? I pray that we will be a people and a church who too. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. We're going to sing one more song. And then we're done today. Thank you for giving us some time in your week to reflect on the scriptures, to worship Jesus. May I just ask you this this morning? Have you ever come to a place where you recognize that there was a God who was chasing you? You may be a believer. You may be running from God. 
You may be a believer who's just sat down, depleted, uninspired, joyless existence. Can I remind you of the grace of God? And maybe today you need to have some moments with God where you reflect on how grateful, how graceful he's been to you. Now, can I say to some of you also, maybe you've never come to the place where you've recognized the God who's been chasing you. You had no idea where you were headed. You're apart from Jesus with no relationship with him. And today, not by accident, circumstance, happenstance, he brought you to this auditorium. Maybe he did so to allow you to understand and recognize of his great grace for you, his forgiving grace that can transform your life just like he transformed an entire city. That's you today and you need to enter into a relationship with Jesus. We don't want to embarrass you, make you stand on the stage, say anything you don't want to say. We simply want to help you begin a journey with Jesus. How does that begin? the authenticity of your heart, you look at God and you say, God, I know who I am today. I've sinned against you and I know how you look on that sin, God. It's repulsive to you, but in your wonderful, glorious, amazing grace, simultaneously, you love me and you will approve me today. Do you just pray that prayer to God? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know that I need forgiveness. Jesus, I want to be saved today. Jesus, I turn from my sin and I walk with you the rest of the days of my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me today. In your name I pray, amen, amen. If you would pray a prayer like that today, I would love to know who you are. You come find me after the service. Stop by the Connect table. Why? Because we want to help you begin a journey with Jesus. Lord, thank you for today. We love you. God, thank you for this incredible book that's taught us about a God who chases us, the ever-chasing God, God who cares so much for us that even in our running, even in our lying down, even in our confusion, we have no idea where we're going. God, you chase us. That's unrelenting grace. God, may we be a people that can say the same. In Jesus' name.